Welcome back to Think Aloud with Dr. G. I'm Lisa Gorin, and I'm glad you're here so we can think aloud together about topics that connect us. Today, we are thinking aloud with Sarah Watt. Dr. Watt is an associate professor at Miami University in Ohio, and prior to that, Sarah was a K-12 teacher for over a decade. I would encourage you to learn more about Sarah's work from her resources linked in the show notes. One quick note, we recorded this in a hotel room at the CEC conference, and you might hear the amazing housekeeping staff vacuuming in the next room for just a little while. All right, thank you for your grace. Now let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I am super excited to bring you another fabulous conversation from the CEC conference. Today, I get to talk with Sarah Watt. Hi, Sarah. Hi. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. You and I know each other a little bit. We've done some things kind of in similar circles, and we're both on the board for the Division for Learning Disabilities, DLD. I'm always trying to squeeze the acronyms in there. Um, but um, this is our real first chance to kind of sit down and have a conversation. So thank you for doing this. Yes, thank you for inviting me. It's so fun. So let's just kind of jump right in. I would love to hear your educational journey. We have these conversations. Not everybody knew from the moment they could walk that they wanted to be a teacher, but some people did. So what's, what's your journey? Yeah, so mine is a little bit unique, as most people's probably are. Um, when I was a middle schooler, I actually lived outside of the country, so oh. I lived in South Africa, and um, it was a cult, the culture there at the time to have um, uh, people who came and lived with you that were um, native to the country, and they would assist you around your home, and, and this was the, how they made a living at the time. Um, and so um, it would give them room and board and allow them to stay um, in a place where they could then also support their family. So um, we had a woman named Jeanith who came and she stayed with us, and um, her son Sylvester came and stayed with us. And oh, wow. Sylvester had um, uh, significant um, disabilities that caused him to be nonverbal and have difficulty with um, physical and motor um related skills and uh, just really a lot of difficult with learning some of the functional skills that he needed. He sure. he was the same age as my sister at the time, so they became very good friends. Jeanith oh, um, uh, taught him how to ride a bike at her house, and we, we really got to be part of his kind of upbringing. When he was school age, um, we got to go and visit his school, and he was um, really not educated in a way that um, Jeanith was excited about. He was not learning a lot of things. It was more of a daycare for him, even as he started to get older, and she became very concerned about sure. what he would do as he got older. Um, and at the time, I was a middle schooler, so you know I wasn't as and involved as maybe <laughs> the rest of my family was, but this is what really sort of ignited my passion for working with kids with disabilities and, and finding ways to advocate and support for their families as well. Um, so that's sort of where my journey started. And then um, when I was in high school, I was part of Teacher Academy, which was a really great opportunity to get in the schools and experience things. Um, so I really enjoyed that experience. And that really just led me to um, becoming an educator. I went to a small private college, Hope College in Holland, Michigan. I was a cohort of only 10 people who were in special education. Wow. And that um, is where I got my four-year degree. Now, are you still connected to some of those folks in that cohort? I am. We got very close. It was just yeah. an opportunity, I think, for us to explore something that, 
you know, in the late 90s was still a very new field, and we were still really navigating, um, you know, what it meant to be um, included into a general education classroom. There was still mostly self-contained programs in what they called units at the time, so it was really a time of big change. Yeah. So you graduated with your undergraduate degree and your teacher certification. Exactly. Did you then go into the classroom for a while? I did. I went into the classroom. Um, I started in a rural community Mm -hmm. in Michigan, and that's where I was um, a teacher at a middle school. Um, I worked mostly in a self-contained program um, for students with um, emotional and behavioral disorders as well as um, cognitive disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, But we really really tried to advocate for more of um, an inclusive model. Yes. And it, you know, we were met with some resistance, but um, it was it was through that advocacy though that I met someone who worked at Western Michigan University, was a professor there in special oh, education, okay. and so I pursued actually my master's um, in curriculum development and educational leadership. Um, I really sure. wanted to um, find ways to create curriculum and um, interventions that were more inclusive for the students that I worked with. And so that led me to my second year in teaching to go back to get my master's degree. That makes sense. So did you choose middle school on purpose or was that the position that was open? I love this conversation about like that middle school part. (laughs) Yes, I love middle school. I chose it on on purpose. Um, (laughs) Middle school, uh, maybe because of where I lived at the time or the teachers I had, but that for me was my favorite years. And so, um, which I know is unusual. So middle school is where I chose to be. And I spent most of my... um, 10 plus years teaching in middle school. How wonderful. So I have a friend who was a middle school guidance counselor and she says, everyone says, when I'd love to go back to kindergarten or I'd love to go back to high school. Mm-hmm. Very few people say, yes. I'd love to go back to middle school. You have to have a very unique sense of humor. <laughs> you really do. You really, yeah, I started my career in a middle school building oh, too, so I understand that, like, that whole system and I have a great fondness for that age group. So, Okay, so you ended up, <clears throat> excuse me, you ended up with... Um, a degree, a master's degree then in curriculum and kind of that leadership piece. Were you expecting to stay in the classroom or were you hoping to maybe do something in curriculum development for that? Yeah, great question. So throughout my master's degree, I remained teaching full-time. So I did this um, while I was teaching and um, I was uh, given an opportunity to do a summer internship in the district I worked with, with our curriculum director. Um, And I loved the work. It was, it was fabulous. Um, and part of uh, my master's degree was also that I had to do a, a short internship with a principal because we okay. did get our principal's license for that. Right. Um, and when I was in that internship, I decided this is not for me. I was not ready to be a school leader. I ah. was so new to the field. It just, I wanted to be back in the classroom. And sure. so I continued to just use what I had learned from there to influence, I think, the, the teams that I worked with mm-hmm. um, and the students that I worked with in the classroom. But having that layer of knowledge and skill and then being able to apply it directly to the classroom, that's really powerful too. Yeah, I, you know, I, I felt more equipped to do what mm-hmm. I was doing once I had that experience. Isn't it fun how yeah. our experiences end up kind of helping us in the spaces we're in? So did you think at that time though, oh gosh, I want to get my PhD, I want to go back to school? Or were you one of those people who said, I'm good right here? You know, I, I felt good. When I when I first had graduated from my undergrad, um, I had a really great advisor in my undergrad, um, Nancy Cook, and I remember thinking, I want to be where she is someday. Oh, okay. um, I really loved the work she did. She really influenced me in such a positive way. 
Um, but once I got into the schools and I got my master's degree, I really did. I, I thought I was good. You know, yeah. I thought this is this is where I'm going to stay. Um, my my husband's um, career though took us to um, Iowa City, okay. um, where um, I got a job teaching in Iowa City schools. And um, when I was there, I learned about um, a grant opportunity through the University of Iowa that would help to. Um, almost pay your way to get your PhD. Right. Um, I was really interested in, in taking additional classes to learn more about special education, but at the time I didn't think a PhD was my pathway. I, I didn't right. feel equipped to do that. I thought that's only for like the super smart people. Um, <laughs> but uh, when I met with um, Bill Therian, who um, turned out to be my advisor there, um, he really convinced me that this this is a good pathway and there's a lot of opportunity. And, and so I ended up then... Um, Joining a cohort at the University of Iowa to get my PhD. With Bill Furious. Yes. Which is amazing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Isn't that interesting, though? You didn't feel equipped to do yeah. that. You didn't think that was where you should be, but yet you were very well prepared to be a part of that cohort. It's so I, I have these conversations with my students mm-hmm. and my doc students and our undergraduates kind of thinking about like not feeling quite good enough. Mm-hmm. That I guess that maybe that idea of imposter syndrome. Yes. They don't really feel like they belong. Yes. Like that's the very reason you belong. Mm-hmm. You have something new to offer. Yes. Yeah. No, and, and you know, I don't think that ever goes away. You know, even yeah. being here at CEC, you see these amazing researchers and, you know, it kind of creeps back in that imposter syndrome. It you does. have to remind yourself that we all have something to offer based on our lived experiences and Absolutely. the times we've been in the classroom, the work that we're doing at the university. And, um, and you know, for undergrads, um, just really thinking about, you know, they're, they're in, on the front lines and they're in those classrooms doing placements and they're, they're new to this field and they're going to be the ones who really change this field. So yes. if anybody, we, should, we can really learn from them, I think. And I love that because I always talk with my students too about you're coming to your student teaching, say, with the most current research-based practices and evidences that we can offer you. Mm-hmm. And the people that you're teaching with might have more years teaching experience, mm-hmm. but they had current knowledge when they got their degree, right? So if it was five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, so you have something new and wonderful to offer to share. They can learn from you mm-hmm. just as much as you can learn from them. Yes. And so that idea of we could be so much better together, Yes. right? I love that. I know. I agree. I always tell my students, you know, the the best advice I give them when they go out into the field is you will continue to learn. You might not know everything, but you're going to continue to learn. But that you have to push against a culture that might go against what you believe and and what your philosophy of teaching is. And you are the ones who are going to make the change. And it might be hard, but that, you know, keep this fire and this passion that you have as pre-service teachers and bring it with you into the field. Oh, that's such good advice. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Okay, so you... Did your doctoral work mm-hmm. in Iowa yes. with Bill, and then what is your specific area of focus? Yes, so um, initially I really wanted to look at more reading um, support, but um, as I really dove into the research on math education and specifically thinking about supporting kids in the middle and high school Mm -hmm. setting in math, I realized there was just this void of research. I mean, there was very little out there, and so I really kind of dove into that. And so, um, you know, my dissertation was really looking at an intervention for um, sixth graders and learning how to solve um, fractions, which is a really difficult area for students, and I just kind of went from there. 
so I had a conversation with Jessica Rodriguez about her love of fractions as well. Yes. So in another <laughs> podcast episode. So yeah, I love this idea. But I also, like, I know you as a researcher with an emphasis in math. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to recognize that you had an interest in reading, you have an interest in mm-hmm. students, and so it's kind of your experiences and your opportunities will lead you into different paths. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I think you know, as researchers, we feel like we get pulled into this one specific area that defines us when really we have expertise in so many areas. And especially right. as teacher educators, we really are learning all the time about new things. And right. and I think the same thing goes for, for undergrads and graduates that, you know, you have, um, you do have a huge array of expertise and it's it doesn't have to be defined to one specific area and I think that's really important for our doctoral students mm-hmm. to hear yes because they have this assumption that they must start their career at the place where they see their advisor in their moment yes at, you know yes. 20 years in perhaps and that's not where you start mm-hmm. you start with this big beautiful question and exploration yes yeah I, I agree that. I agree <laughs> awesome okay so you are currently at Miami yeah, Miami University in Ohio. In Ohio many, okay. many people think that's the Florida, but it's not. <laughs> we get snow and it's cold. <laughs> and how long have you been there? Um, I am in my ninth year there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so it's um, it was an exciting journey to get there. I never saw myself moving to Ohio. Um, you know, I was in Iowa. I grew up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really was um, looking for a research university, but also one that um, allowed me the opportunity to teach and really put yes. time and energy into my teaching. That was really important to me. Um, and, you know, Miami, there are times it doesn't seem balanced. It seems like I'm being pulled more towards teaching. Um, mm-hmm. But I really have an opportunity to do both there and um, for my teaching and my research to really influence each other. And so it's been a great fit. That is wonderful. And that idea of balance, it's not a perfectly static thing no that balance has to shift semester by semester um moment by moment in your life right sometimes when you're raising younger kids you need to focus in different areas and so I love that our work allows that kind of flexible balance I agree I agree it's really fun yeah thinking about you know you mentioned kids you know I do I do have kids and trying to find that balance between um you know just collecting data and the time that you spend on it and the time that you spend on your teaching. And sometimes you just had to be okay being good and not right. doing the best. And that's really hard. I think for everyone who's coming out of higher ed, that's, you know, we're perfectionists. And Maybe just a little. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> um, and so I think for, for a few years of my career, I had to be okay just being okay. And I right. think that was, once I made peace with that, I feel like I could do what I needed to do and be successful still. I'm still working on that, I think. You know, I've kind of discovered this idea of great is the enemy of good or good is the enemy of great, depending on which end of that motivation you need. But really, what we do is good, Mm -hmm. and that is okay. Like, sometimes I can bring my A-plus game, and sometimes I'm bringing my B-minus game, but I'm still present, and I'm still doing the best that I can in the moment that I have. Yes. And I think that especially in this time of uncertainty and pandemic and kind of pandemic exhaustion that people are dealing with that still isn't resolved Mm -hmm. we're not in a place where we can necessarily be our best at everything but the best that you're bringing today is good enough yes and what a great message to people who are looking at our teachers right now they're in the classrooms you know they they're trying they're doing their best but they're really burnt out you know (laughs) well and the herculean efforts of 
if there's a 40% fill rate for the substitutes, that means that 60% of those positions are empty. So now the people in the space are filling those yes. roles while they're also filling their own roles. And yeah, that's that's a lot to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I, you have such love for and appreciation of our teachers. I'm not sure I'm currently equipped to handle that level of daily stress. Yes. I haven't I, done it in a few years. I feel that, you know, I go in to collect data for just two hours a day and I leave exhausted and I think, no, these teachers have to be there all day. <laughs> and so I, one of the things you talked about that flexibility, I, this semester, am going to supervise student teachers in a middle school setting because I need to get that connection again. So mm-hmm. the work I do in teacher ed, I love, I love my pre-service teachers. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I don't stay connected to the mm-hmm. classroom, I'm not offering them as full of a picture. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Oh, that will be a really neat experience for you. So much fun. That is great. Yeah, I'm very excited (laughs) to be back in the classroom. I hadn't realized how much I missed it Mm -hmm. until I got the opportunity and I jumped at it. Well, and your passion for the field will show to your students more when you're out there and you're experiencing something you love. Yes, and I get to do it with some of them, right? Mm -hmm. So I have some of them in class and then I will see them in the schools too and I think they'll get to see that kind of wraparound experience that we all really have in teaching. Yes. Oh, how fun. That's great. I love that. I love that. Okay. Well, I want to be cognizant of our time because I know we all have sessions to go attend, but I always like to wrap these up with three questions. Okay. And they're not super difficult. I don't do rapid fryer like Brene Brown because I can't, I'm not that awesome and I can't handle that kind of stress. But just three basic questions. The first one is, who or what inspires you? Mm, you know, I'll have to say it's changed over the years. Mm. But right now, it would be my three teenage daughters. I want to be an example for them of someone who um, can uh, go out into the world and make change um, while also holding true to me what I value and what's important to me. Yeah, that is such a good answer. Yay, I love that. Okay, Um, the second question is worded a little differently on purpose. It's who is an educator who's influenced you? And I say that because some people are like, oh, positive influence, and some people have a very cautionary tale, not an example. Mm -hmm. So who's an educator who influenced you? Um, You know, I'm going to say my fifth grade teacher, who I still occasionally have gotten little letters here and there from, even when I was in college, but um, Mrs. Corstange was her name, and she just got to know us all on a very personal level. Um, I was moving, transitioning to South Africa from her class, and so she, the day that I was going to have to move, she took me and my two best friends out to lunch and had a sub come into her classroom, and it was the most memorable experience, just the fact that she took time to do something that was so important to me. <laughs> I'm actually hearing that. I know. That is so it, it makes me, you know, just have chills. <laughs> that but is the sweetest. It was. It was, it was amazing. And, oh. you know, she loved all her students that way. Like, she really had the bandwidth to just show them that she cared. I love that. I hope that we get back to a situation in our country where teachers have the bandwidth to be able to do that on a regular basis. Yeah, that is my wish for us. Okay, third question's a two-parter. We talked about being lifelong learners and continual learners, and one of the things that we do is like we as professionals read. So part A, what are you reading professionally right now? 
Oh, goodness. Um, Ghosts in the Schoolyard. Um, it's a book about um, the Chicago public school system and how so many of the schools closed down um, oh. due to um, just um, a lot of um, racial segregation and mm-hmm. issues within communities that they faced in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, it, it's a tough read, but I feel like it's an important read for everybody. That sounds um, like a good one. Yeah, yeah. so um, that is, that's the book I'm currently okay. reading. Yes. I will find that information and make sure it's in the show notes, yes. too. The second part of that is an acknowledgement of we are whole people mm-hmm. <laughs> outside of our, li- of our work lives, right? So what are you reading personally? Yes, well, you actually mentioned Brene Brown, and, um, oh, I'm going to forget the entire title, but something about being a brave leader. Yes. Um, I actually just finished her book on the airplane is, on the way here. Is that one um, Dare to Lead? Dare or, to Lead, sorry. Or is it Braving the Wilderness? Uh, Dare to Lead, because okay. I Braving the Wilderness I actually just read a couple months ago. <laughs> um, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. I really feel very inspired by her. So, yes, that was actually the one I, I read on the plane. I just finished on the plane on the oh, way here. Oh, wonderful, yeah. She's yeah. definitely one of my inspirations as well. So Wonderful. Yes. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Yes, this was wonderful. Thank you for inviting me. It's been so fun. Okay, episode 15 is in the books. Thank you again to Sarah for a lovely conversation about how our experiences influence our path and for sharing her love of working with middle school teachers and students. Please check out the resources Sarah mentioned in the show notes. And a special thanks to Jason Gorin for editing this podcast. And thank you, wonderful listener, for joining us. Please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and a review for our happy little podcast with topics and or guests you'd like to hear in future episodes. I look forward to our next opportunity to think aloud together. Until then, stay curious. Stay curious.